Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. So late on Friday night, we learned that the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board had issued a one-year suspension to leading trainer Gordon Elliott over that photograph that shocked the racing world and the wider world that was released around about a week from a week ago from now. Um, six months of that sentence was suspended. He was ordered to pay €15,000 in cost. You're familiar with the story now. And the story developed further yesterday with a confirmation that local, locally-based trainer and vastly experienced horsewoman Sneezy Foster would take the licence over. This was the uh, statement from the uh, IHRB. We consider that a suspension of Mr Elliott's training licence is merited in all of the circumstances of this case to reflect the seriousness of the offence and the damage to the Irish racing industry to deter other offences of this nature. Uh, 12 months, six months suspended. Committee also notes that Mr. Elliott has stated to the committee that he will not attend a race meeting or a point to point for six months. We accept that helpful course. We also accede to the application for costs by the IHRB in the sum of 15,000 euros. And all parties agreed that that would start on the 9th of March, which is on Tuesday. Now, Gordon Elliott issued a response to that, and Gordon Elliott's response was he accepted his situation and his sanction, and he was satisfied with his engagement with the IHRB. Not an easy job to sit on the panel, but he said he was dealt with fairly. I am in this situation by my own action. I'm not going to dodge away from this with my position in the sport. I have great privileges and great responsibility. I did not live up to that. I'm no longer the teenage boy who first rode a horse at Tony Martin's 30 years ago. I'm an adult with obligations and a position in a sport I have loved since I first saw horses race. I'm paying a very heavy price for my error, but I have no complaints. It breaks my heart to see the hurt I've caused to my colleagues, family, friends and supporters. I have a long road ahead of me, but I will serve my time and then build back better. And the story um, developed further last night with the news that Gordon Elliott would continue to assist Sneezy Foster, who had taken over the licence. And headlines this week across the national media are rather like this. Keith Duggan, bloodlust for Elliot revenge seems shil- shrill and suspect on one hand and on the other hand, indefensible moans of madness. I'm joined by James Millman this morning here on Lock on Sunday. Lee Moss said senior writer from the Racing Post will be along very shortly. Uh, James, just your overall reaction to the, to the way the week's events have panned out, first of all. Well, it's just shockwaves, isn't it, through the media in the sport itself and unfortunately the mainstream media, which has got hold of a, a very damaging story for the sport <sighs> coming up to Cheltenham, our busiest time of the year. And it's just been a sad time I think for the sport and uh, hopefully the IHRB have, have come to a conclusion which I think while no one is going to be totally satisfied I think they've tried to see both points of view and it's probably a fair result I think. Yeah in terms of the top line I, I suspected straight away that this would this would play reasonably well within the industry a year suspension with six months suspended you can argue that whichever way you like in terms of outside the industry how do you think it's going to go down? Outside, you've got the term suspension. So for a lot of people, that will 
imagine who don't follow the sport would be Gordon's not involved in any kind of way with the horses. Um, it has come out that he's there to assist, help Susie Foster, who's obviously taken on a whole load of new horses, which, well, she knows as much as we do about how successful they are. She's going to need help to get hold of how the yard works, etc. But for some other people, they might think perhaps Gordon should take a, a bigger step back than perhaps maybe the case. Well, let's talk to the Racing Post senior writer, Lee Mottishead, uh, who's been following this story all week and writing about it as well. Uh, Lee, first of all, let's just take stock of the seven days as a whole. What are your observations now, having had a little bit more time to reflect, and now we're sort of complete, if you like? I think it's still very hard, Nick, not to be angry. Um, I, I, I don't mind admitting that I still feel furious um, about what has happened. I do feel empathy um, to Gordon Elliott. Um, he's someone who, by ev- what everyone says, who goes into his yard, his horses are treated like kings and queens. And I wouldn't for a second think that he isn't someone who absolutely loves racehorses. And I, therefore I feel sympathy for him that his world has come crashing down in the last week or so. But I think as a, as a racing writer and as a fan of horse racing, my greater um, sympathy at the moment is for the sport. Um, the line has been used a lot over the last week and it's an absolutely sincere line that when anybody criticises horse racing and says it isn't a correct, it isn't a fair sport, it shouldn't take place, those of us who love racing say, well, the people that take part in horse racing, the trainers, the jockeys, the stable staff, nobody loves horses more than them. And that is absolutely true. But the problem is that image and that video of Rob James and his friends with the dead horse there, that makes it so much harder for us to convince people who dislike horse racing that it is a fair and just activity. Lee, I've got a headline here from today's Daily Telegraph. And this is a piece written by Tom Morgan, the sports news correspondent, so not specifically a racing correspondent. And the headline is, Gordon Elliott loophole proves racing does not care about animals. The BHA say path clear for banned trainers' horses to run at Cheltenham if transferred to a new trainer by March the 9th. We know those horses are going to be transferred to the name of, of Sneezy Foster. All she has to do is to notify the IHRB that she is moving premises. And Gordon Elliott is perfectly free to work within racing because, as the IHRB say, he's suspended and not disqualified. He has voluntarily made the decision not to attend race meetings for the next six months, which has been very much welcomed by the IHRB, but it's, it's not an obligation on him, whereas they point out that, of course, Charles Burns, who's been recently suspended, is still able to go racing, even though somebody else is the licence holder at his yard. So it tells you something about where the bar is set. But the fact that uh, a Telegraph headline today says Gordon Elliott loophole proves racing does not care about animals. How, how much does that worry you? I think that will be um, a widely held perception. I think that the, the panel, first of all, was in a very difficult position, Nick, in that what, what, this was an unprecedented case. Um, we've never seen anything like this before, and they had no guide, I think, as to, to what they should do. Um, and you, you, you mentioned the, the, the Charles Burns case, and that, that provides a, a very interesting comparison in the sense that there is someone there who and we don't know who it is, but somebody doped a horse to the eyeballs and put the lives of jockeys and horses at grave danger. 
that person hasn't been caught. I would suspect that there are people in horse racing who know, know who did that and who should be coming forward because that really is a, a humongous case of, of horse welfare. This wasn't a welfare case, but it, has, it, but it has created a damaging perception for the sport. And people will now feel that the person at the centre of it is still allowed to train horses in inverted commas. As you say, he's suspended, he isn't warned off, so he can still be part of the business. And I think that will create a damaging look for the sport. I think in the immediacy of where we are now, we're two weeks away from the Cheltenham Festival. Um, a meeting, it's our greatest race meeting, but last year it was one that had the most appalling headlines and coverage not through any fault of racings. I think, you know, I think we, most of us agree that Cheltenham and the Jockey Club were, were told by government to stage that meeting, advised by government to stage that meeting. But realistically, at this Cheltenham Festival, the narrative theme going through it will be Gordon Elliott. Um, he will have winners, he's bound to have winners, and the racing media and the wider media will be reporting on horses, in inverted commas, trained by Gordon Elliott, winning at the Cheltenham Festival. Um, therefore, I, I would I would say that uh, the the the, I, the best possible um, course of action now would be if Gordon Elliott, with the support of his owners, decided not to participate at this year's Cheltenham Festival. I accept that would be a a, a, a high price to pay for his owners who 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 showed loyalty and stuck with him. But I think for the sport, it would be a good thing. I think it would help to protect the sport's reputation. I've no doubt that Gordon Elliott wants to, um, wants to do all he can to restore the sport's reputation. This would go towards doing that, and I think he'd be applauded for it as well. Uh, do you not think that's, that's pretty harsh? As you said, I mean, that, it's, it's no fault of the owners. There's no suggestion those horses are looked up after uh, in their lives, anything other than exquisitely. And it would also be a hugely high price to pay for, for those staff responsible for the horses as well, not to mention a very high price to pay for a business that's probably already suffered to the tune of three, four hundred thousand euros this week. That, that seems an awfully high price to pay yeah, for him to take no involvement or for his stable under a new licensee to take no involvement in the Cheltenham Festival. And presumably it would be an almost impossible rule for the, for the BHA to to invoke, wouldn't it? I, I think that would be a very, a very high price to pay. Well, I, I don't think it should be a case of the BHA invoking a rule, Nick. The, the point I'm making you know, is that I would, I, would, I would hope that the, the stable themselves might look to do this voluntarily. It would be a high price to pay. Um, but I think, and I hope, that Gordon Elliott and his stable have a long-term future in horse racing. And I don't doubt that he'll bounce back from from this, but I think in the here and now, if we look at prices being paid um, at this Cheltenham Festival, we either have a situation where Gordon Elliott's stable and his owners and staff pay a, pay a high price by not being involved of their own volition, voluntarily, at this festival, or the sport of horse racing pays a very high price because at the first moment that Gordon Elliott's stable has a winner at this festival, this again will be all over, all over the headlines, and understandably so. It's a, I think everybody has said through this whole situation, there are no winners in this. There are there are huge personal casualties, and I do feel genuine empathy for Gordon Elliott because his world has come crashing down in the last week or so. Um, and I think he he 
I don't think he's not a scapegoat because he he's the he's the he's the he's the culprit in all this. But there's a person who took the picture. We don't know who we don't know who took the picture, Nick. And that person should be under investigation as well. And we're still going to have the Rob James case. So there are no winners in this. We're all casualties. The sport is 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 a casualty. I'm just trying to look through a trying to find a way where when we get to this 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 huge race meeting where the spotlight will be on, we can get through it as well as we possibly can in the most dire circumstances. And there's no doubt the human cost of this has been has been immense during the course of the week. And that was nowhere more exemplified than by Camilla Sharples, who's head person to, to Gordon Elliott. And she was interviewed yesterday by Gary O'Brien, who put it to her that this must have been the hardest week of, of her life and indeed those of, of some of the, um, the, the staff that she worked with. Camilla, you mentioned there, obviously everybody knows it's been a very difficult week for you and all the team at Collentry. You've worked in racing a long, long time. Have you ever, ever had a tougher few days than that? No, I don't think I've ever had a tougher few days in my life. It's, it's, been, it's been awful to see everybody so low, but we're all a big team in Gordon's and he's a brilliant boss and I, I know he's going to come back from this and we're all going to stick by him and he's got the best team around him so we'll keep kicking and we've heard the news over the last 24 hours that Denise Foster Sneezy as she's better known is going to come in and take over the license for the six months that Gordon is not going to be around and you know Sneezy well don't you I'm sure that'll be a pretty seamless move yeah Sneezy she's she's a legend and we're, we're lucky to, to have her to step in and you know, we all know her really well, so we, we couldn't be happier in that respect. And, you know, I'm sure six months will fly by and Sneezy's going to become part of the team and we'll keep kicking and we'll be all right. That's it. And the Cheltenham Festival is not too far away now. It's going to be a very different Cheltenham Festival. It was already going to be a very different Cheltenham Festival this year. But I guess preparations will continue from now on now that, that at least there's that bit of certainty, won't there? Yeah, nothing's going to change. Um, we've still got the t good team of horses going and we're all really excited to be going to Cheltenham. So we can't wait a week today. The first lorry leaves and I'll be on that lorry. So I'll be counting down the days. Fantastic. hope we can bring back some winners. Camilla Sharples there, who's uh, one of the senior management team at Gordon Elliott Stable. Uh, James, you run a racing stable, helped to run a racing stable. You're uniquely placed, really, to, to know what Camilla is feeling this week. And that kind of sense of camaraderie within a stable and, and that real sort of sense of siege mentality that, that took place during the course of the week. It's quite un easy to understand, isn't it? Oh, most definitely, and you can tell by how they've reacted is that it's a very, very strong team of Gordon Elliott. I mean, they're all very, very close, and I think Gordon is actually more one of the team rather than some higher-profile trainers probably aren't actually in the yard that often, whereas Gordon's probably very, very hands-on. So they've really suffered as a team. I think they feel that they've been impacted on by the media, but from the racing media, no-one has condemned the team as a whole because they know... The horses are put the races. They are in immaculate condition. A very good point is horses can't win races without having the best care possible. Mm. And it's clear from the success that Gordon had through the years that it's a very, very successful operation. And what Camilla said, I thought, there, nothing will change. All the prep work's done for Cheltenham now. They're leaving in a week's time. All the, the preparation is just ticking over. And that's a probably important point. Leeds going very strong. Gordon should voluntarily not have runners or the owners should voluntarily not run. All these horses, they have one season of the novice. This is their one shot festival. Yes, they, they move on up the grades. But I think to punish all the owners, all the stable staff, everybody connected to that yard for what has happened, I think that is, is going too far myself. 
Right, I'm going to try and connect again with uh, John Osborne, who is the Horse Racing Island Director of Equine Welfare and Bloodstock. I, I hope you can hear me now, John. I put to you the proposition earlier that Lee Mosses had said that everybody outside the industry must know that everybody in the industry is united in not only condemning the acts we've seen in the last week, but portraying the best positive image for the, for the sport. How do you respond to that? I think everybody has uh, condemned the image and, and the actions that go behind it. Uh, I think Gordon was the first to come out and, and put his hands up. Um, so, I mean, we, we would agree with that. Um, it, it was unacceptable um, and, you know, disappointing in all those words. But, you know, we, we have... Um, you know, I spoke to you last Monday, and, I mean, my reaction was that you know, it, it doesn't reflect, it isn't a fair reflection on the people who look after these horses. And, you know, the Elliot Yard is one of which we're, we're, we're proud because, you know, of the way that they have uh, produced their horses over and over again. Like his statistics are incredible. His horses perform to a very high standard. They look immaculate. He has a, a staff which are the envy of many other yards in terms of their enthusiasm and their skills. So, you know, there's an awful lot of pluses here that are not reflected by that photograph. John, what what worries us and, and, and what worries me this morning is when I, I look at a headline that's in the Daily Telegraph today, you, you and I both know that all those horses in Gordon Elliott's yard are looked after brilliantly. Henrietta Knight was on this programme last year. I asked her of all the yards she'd been to in Europe, which one she was most impressed with. Without hesitation, she said Gordon Elliott. And I, I pick up the Daily Telegraph this morning and I read the headline, Gordon Elliott loophole, because he's still allowed to be heavily involved in the training of his horses at Cullentrar, even though he's suspended, proves racing, quote, does not care about animals. What can we do as a sport to respond to those sort of allegations? What do we need to do now to move forward out of this? Well, I mean, everything, what somebody said that there there's winning and opportunities to learn. And this is obviously an opportunity for us all to learn. I read a very interesting site called Black Box Thinking, where, you know, the airline industry learns from the mistakes of others. So we all share the, the negatives and we learn from them and get better for having come through that uh, test, if you like. Um, you know, in, this is, you know, per perfect is a very high standard to set yourself. But, and sometimes I think that we in the industry feel that, oh, we're under un unfair criticism or un unjustifiable scrutiny or people are setting standards that are far too high for us. But if you ask anybody in the restaurant business what it's like in the aftermath of one bad meal, I mean, it can be catastrophic for, for an enterprise, you know. Uh, so, like, we're not alone in, in being set... Uh, very high standards um, and in our situation I suppose we have a duty of care to the animals at the centre of the sport and I suppose that's why you know I, I make the case that you know our sport is the second most, second most popular sport in Ireland after Gaelic games you know uh, football is, is the close third and the Premier League attracts a lot of attention in Ireland um, but, but the point I make is that those fan bases are, are very devoted to their sport and disinterested in other sports, perhaps. Whereas we have the unusual situation of having people who are passionate about the sport and then we also have people who are 
you know, actually um, uh, object to it, if you like. Um, so that's an unusual situation for sport to find itself in. But it sets the bar even higher because those external people are asking us to make sure we deliver on our duty of care to the horses. And like, uh, you know, uh, not to get too buzz, buzz crazy about it, you know, but mm. I mean, one thing we've done is we've been very good at um, identifying the best horse. We need to get better at, at what is best for the horse. Um, and that's a sort of thinking that uh, we need to evolve. And this is an evolution. It's not going to be an overnight thing. It's like a culture shift within the industry where, you know, the horse comes first and everything else is a byproduct of that. But it's still a game where, you know, it's not, you know, the winner is celebrated. But I think all the participants must also be celebrated too. That's a, that's a tough task. I, I felt very uncomfortable this week with some of, as Lee described it, some of the, the sort of binary... Uh, arguments put forward on, on this and the idea that you either are are backing Gordon Elliott or you're in some way trying to trying to attack him would you would you would you agree with me that this is much more nuanced than that well like I mean you know what it takes to be a racehorse trainer it's an incredibly sophisticated task to be a people manager a, a, a horse uh, husbander a you know a businessman a media professional. All these tasks are asked of somebody who, you know, as and Gordon would say it himself, like, you know, he didn't go to finishing school. Like, I mean, so, like, it's a very sophisticated role for somebody. And obviously, one of the great uh, uh, take-homes from it is Gordon's willingness to engage with the process, to get better from it. You know, he has promised to come back better, um, and we believe him. And, and I think that's, that's testament to most of the successful entrepreneurs in any walk of life, that they learn from their mistakes and they get better from them. And I think this is a, a classic opportunity for the entire industry to learn from this. And I don't blame the messenger. I don't blame the camera. I don't blame the image as much as, you know, the behaviours behind it are what we need to focus in on. You know, what is acceptable? And as I say, you know, what, what's right by the horse it, as, as much as we as we can do that, uh, bearing in mind that sometimes it, you know it, it, you know it, it's it's a difficult sport because they're living, breathing animals. So what you're saying is, do we just need to change our approach culturally? Do all of us need to look at ourselves and think, right? How do we look at horses? How do we how do we feel about them? How do we um, treat them in life and treat them in death? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and I think. We ourselves uh, need to uh, get better around that subject before we can even engage with uh, communicating with the so-called outside world on the subject. You know, people, um, we know that people are devoted to their animals. We know that they love them dearly. We know that people choose this game as their as their career, you know, for reasons other than money. Like, it's it's beyond that. Uh, obviously, people have to have to live and put groceries on the table, but... It's, you know, it's a deep, deep felt uh, thing, but we still have to think differently in the safety record that it had 20 years ago. And, you know, there were those who, who at the time of the change, felt that hard hats and yellow vests and steel toe cap boots were an inconvenience um, and, a, and a sign of weakness, you know. 
and and 20 years later you know the the safety record in construction is is much much improved it's not you know and, and that's the, the the path we should set ourselves on you know that that we engage with the horses in 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 ways where we learn from what goes on and one of the things we'd like to see is is that thing of data sharing you know so that you know everyone learns from the other guy you know it's it's a feature of um uh lots of enterprises such as the all blacks but the, and the airline industry where you know um people learn from the other guy even if they're in competition with them that's a difficult culture to establish because obviously trainers are very competitive one with the other um but they're also uh, bumping into some of the same issues and wouldn't it be wonderful if they all learned from the other guy's mistakes before they made the same mistake themselves and that comes down to track surfaces the way they feed the animals how you know how they exercise them and all those issues it would be wonderful if everyone learned from the other person which happens in lots of other walks of life well i'm hoping now i can talk to barry johnson who is the independent chair of the horse welfare board in the uk and has been a guest on on this program before barry good morning to you good morning i can only just hear you well i will i will try and keep my voice loud and clear barry but i can hear you i can hear you very well can you hear me a little better now? I can hear you now. Great stuff. Um, Barry, I don't know if you were able to listen to, to John Osborne, the HRI's Director of Equine Welfare and Bloodstock. He made a lot of very interesting points, broader points, about how the industry needs to, to, to look at itself and how we all need to go, to go forward together. What do you think this week has told us in that respect? I think it's shown that the industry's got to communicate with the public and invite them to come and look at their racing yards or studs or wherever the horses are kept and encourage people to come and speak to those who look after the horses and see the truth of what really happens on yards and how much care and attention is given to them. From your perspective, Barry, what has concerned you the most? I think the... Uh, perception that people will think that's what happens uh, in all racing yards when in fact nothing could be further from the truth. I've been a uh, veterinary surgeon and practice for 50 years and unfortunately been present when a lot of horses have ended their lives and I've never ever seen anybody uh, show anything other than sorrow and sadness and gratitude to somebody, a friend that they've lost. Uh, have you been in touch with your, your counterparts in Ireland? Sorry, I couldn't catch that, mate. I was just saying, Barry, have you been in touch with your counterparts in Ireland to, to talk about the implications of this? Uh, I haven't personally, no. Do you think it would be a good idea now for representatives of, of both countries and indeed representatives of, of other European countries to try and get together and, and, and develop a unified approach to to equine welfare yes it's not just europe i think it's a worldwide um perception and i think the social license is something that everybody has to work hard towards uh not to cover anything up but to open everything up and show people exactly what happens worldwide not just in the uk and just in terms of of what's going to happen over the over the next couple of weeks Obviously, given the way that, that the Irish have, have handed down the, the, the suspension, Gordon Elliott will have still some active involvement in horses 
at the at the Cheltenham Festival. Now I know I know licensing is is not your department, and you know, I don't want you to to comment on the specifics of, of this necessarily if you feel uncomfortable with that. But from your perspective, how do you feel the wider public will respond to uh, him still having an active involvement in runners at the Cheltenham Festival and indeed at the Grand National meeting? Well, I think <clears throat> it's not for me to comment on regulatory matters. That's nothing to do with me. But exactly. I think uh, the public are aware of the stable girls and boys and jockeys who are totally unconnected to what was in those pictures. And I think uh, they love their horses and they'll be wanting to see them racing and enjoying it. Barry, just for, for those who aren't familiar, just oh, I hope you're still there. Is Barry still there? He is still there, yeah. Um, Barry, just for those who are unfamiliar with the work that you're doing at the moment, just leaving this case to one side, what can we expect over the next 12 months from the, from the Welfare Board? What are you working on to, to make this sport a better and, and more presentable sport to the wider world? Well, probably three major aspects. One is for safety on the tracks, which is work that we suspended uh, at the beginning of coronavirus, looking at hurdles, looking at going, looking at starting stalls. The other one is looking at the data and continuing the work of the predictive model, which started following the Cheltenham review and traceability of horses from birth through the 30-foot day notification right through to follow them into retirement. And also the... Uh, consultation process for the whip which will go forward this year luck on sunday proudly sponsored by albasti Equal dubai for anyone who has been shouting move on for for the last 45 minutes i'm still not going to make any apology but we are going to do that james millman is alongside me we're going to look back at some of the excellent action at Kelso yesterday, James. And the headliner was Cloth Cap, who could give Trevor Hemmings yet another Grand National winner. And I think that would be a very, very popular result. That was a brilliant performance yesterday. It was fantastic. Front running, jump performance. A horse who looked very good in the Labrook, where he won off 136 of a pretty lightweight. Up in grade, nearly level weight, giving weight away to some very decent horses. He's won that very, very easily. And I think the handicap could easily go 160 if you wanted for this performance. I think the ride was perhaps run below four, may so better at two and a half. I didn't think Two for Gold travelled that well. Definitely Red's not getting any younger, but he did it very, very easily. No penalty for the Grand National. So he runs off one, four, eight, whatever the handicap decides to do on the back of this performance. He goes in decent ground. That would be the, the main issue, I suppose, mm -hmm. going forward, is what ground we're going to get at Aintree. Well, the one thing that you know about Aintree now is that the ground is not going to be good like on top good it's going to be on the easy side on the grand national course because that has to be a, a you know a, a welfare priority exactly and the problem with that kind of ground is that the odd shower can make it go soft pretty quickly that would be the negative he's got form in big field handicaps his third in the scottish national nearly two years ago now and he's just progressing at a rate yeah you know he's going to stay he's got great enthusiasm and it was a terrific performance to watch. And it could be yet another victory for Trevor Hemmings in the Grand National, which would be a record-breaking win after his wins with Hedgehunter and with Ballard Briggs and latterly with the wonderful Late Many Clouds. That was Cloth Cap, winner of the Premier Chase 
at Kelso yesterday. Now, there was an interesting story as regarded the Moor Battle Hurdle, which is now a handicap. The shunter was the winner, and he's on course for a £100,000 bonus, James, if he goes on to win any race at the Cheltenham Festival. Yeah, I think it really worked making it a handicap. Really competitive contest, very good prize money. I doubt they expected the winner of the race without five different entries at Cheltenham. He's got hurdles, fences, different trips. What a job Emmett Mullins has done with his horse. He was naught from 18 when he joined the stable. He's won four times this year, including the Greatwood at Cheltenham. And here, he again looks a little bit awkward under pressure, but he just keeps getting the job done. He has had a hard race here. That is the only concern heading to Cheltenham, and perhaps they might want the later targets in the week just to give him a little bit more time to recover. He's quite a deceptive horse, isn't he? I wonder how much he, he really gives himself a hard race in a finish. Favoir, the horse on the inside there, I think is, is a horse who's always going to save a little bit for himself. Yeah, no, that is, that's, that's a good point because when he ran over fences last time at Punchdown, he looked exactly the same in the finish when he was making progress. He perhaps doesn't give 100%, and that's why he can keep on progressing through the handicap ranks, but he's done exceptionally well for his connections. And a second big race success in the UK in consecutive weekends for Emmett Mullins. I think there will be a number of Irish trainers who will be pretty encouraged that he's come over and won because of the logistical complexities of bringing horses over for, for next week. They'll be, they'll be heartened by that. Most definitely. Obviously, Willie Mullins at one to market raise and just to get used to all the protocols that you've got to do, it's going to be a pain for everyone, but it shows you it works and the horses take it in their stride. Yeah, shall we have a look at the Greatwood Gold Cup at Newbury? Because this was won by Umbrigado for the David Pike team and David Noonan. I thought the jockey angle was quite significant here. David's a very talented guy, somebody I'm sure you know well, uh, but he hasn't really had a load of good opportunities this year. Yeah, David actually scores all our jumpers. I say all our jumpers, we've only got one or two. But he's a real nice lad, he works hard. And uh, Ramsey, they say, had a good connection with these owners last year. And this horse here, a confident ride. You can see David here, he's actually sitting pretty still when the race is in earnest. The big bite, a typical son of Scorpion, arguably throws his chance away. But David's never panicking. I think he's always pretty confident that Mbrigado is going to stay on strongly. Stepping up in, in trip seemed to help as well. He's really hit the line strong. But I like the ride, the fact that it was quiet, that it wasn't panicking. And he in the end produces him absolutely perfectly. What I loved about this was that after the race, David said, that he and David Piper talked about where to challenge after the last and he said make sure you come wide so you don't have the issue as the big bite did as Killer Clown did of edging naturally down towards the water jump and having to pull around the elbow yeah exactly and that's an art of race riding because you know it's there it's not a surprise but horses naturally want to take the course that they took the circuit before you are changing their direction and by having that wide route and already on the diagonal as such He's not lost any momentum. You can see the horses hit the line very, very strong. You're quite a keen, obviously quite a keen student of what goes on across the country, particularly down in, in the southwest and that sort of stronghold of national hunt racing. I love the fact that the pipe team are right back on point. And when they are, race planning is just exquisite. We saw it yesterday twice at Newbury with that horse and Novice going in there and also the horse who won later in the day had the blinkers on, the claimer on, the four-year-old getting the weight and you just thought... They're getting it absolutely spot on. That was near the USP, wasn't it, of the pipe team. A few years ago, they could target races and the horses would land the targets. I think the West Country itself, being based in the West Country, it's so competitive. All the, a lot of big jump yards are down in the area and you go to Taunton for a little novice hurdle and now you have got Chantan prospects taking part in it and it has got difficult, but having horses like this, it was €160,000, I think, to start off with. He won three in a row, lost his way, but now he's finding his feet again. Um, I just wanted to give a quick mention to the winner of the bumper 
at Newbury yesterday, a horse called Charlie's Glance. He's got quite a nice pedigree. His sire passing glance had three winners across the country, which is no mean achievement. This horse had ended up with Andy Martin, who has had one or two shot winners over the last few years, but he was available at 150 to 1 in places in the morning and went off a very well back 14 to 1 shot, and he absolutely bolted up. He did. Now, I actually did my trainer's modules with Andy Martin did you? In, in Newmarket. This was maybe 10 years ago now. And he's always done well. Sunny Legend was sick for the festival. Military won a big handicap at 50 to 1. And they knew they had a, a good horse in their hands because a newbie bump is not a, an easy target to start your career off. And he kicked clear a long way out and he just kept galloping. And it's a, a family Alan King knows well, actually. He's mm. trained a lot of siblings. And interesting, afterwards, I'd be selling him because <laughs> um, for, for a jumper, he's going to be worth a lot, of, a lot of money, probably yeah. so. But he's very keen to keep him. He's keen to actually put his stable on the map very much he owns the horses his sons used to ride as well uh, as amateurs but i think he's keen to, to get some owners into the yard and a horse like that and winning first time out's got to be a good advert for his skills he's a good guy andy as well isn't he yeah very much so and um i think he's going to take more time on the actual training of the horses rather than perhaps a part-time and the fact that if he concentrates fully the results are only going to get better OK, well, that's what happened yesterday around the country. Charlie's glance landing a bit of a touch in the bumper at Newbury. When you rejoin me after the break, I will be talking to Daryl Jacob, who has laid himself bare for the cameras. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. Well, as I say, he's really opened up for the cameras. It's a terrific hour-long documentary, Daryl Jacob being a jockey, and it's available from Friday on the ITV Hub. And Daryl joins me right now. Morning, Daryl. Nick, how are you? I'm, I'm extremely well, thank you very much. I, I, um, I would suggest to you that you might be a slightly unlikely film star, or, or not an unwilling film star, but an, an unlikely film star. Yeah, it didn't. Uh, it kind of came out, obviously. Um, it was a little bit strange the way it kind of came out, but um, obviously I'm sponsored by Skybet, and uh, at the start of the year, um, I got a couple of nasty injuries, and, um, you know, I broke my hand and stuff like that quite badly, and uh, they kind of wanted to follow me around, and obviously with being a jockey, we tried to get back as, as quickly as we can, so they thought it would be just sort of a an interesting thing to do, and, and just sort of follow me around, follow me, my recovery, and to be honest with you, it's sort of it's just taken off from there, really. Did you enjoy it? Pardon? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did, actually, yeah. Obviously, Greg and Andrew, that were doing it all. Um, yeah, I did, actually. It, it's sort of, it's not me, but, um, yeah, look, I really did. Yeah, it, was, it was great fun with, 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 the, with the lads and, and doing it and seeing all the different, um, you know, things, the way, you know, kind of making a film and making a documentary and making all them sort of things. It's, it's very, very interesting, actually. And, uh, yeah, I must admit, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, yeah. There was quite a lot I knew, obviously, um, but there was quite a lot I, I perhaps hadn't quite appreciated. And there were some quite moving moments for me during this, during this documentary, one of which was your, your relationship with the late, the late Kieran Kelly. We've spoken about it a little bit on, on this programme when you joined me, but the fact that he still is very much with you each and every day and with every ride you take uh, to the point where you actually have a, a picture of him tucked into the, tucked into the sun visor in your, in your car. I, I, found that, I found that very moving. Yeah, like I say, obviously he's one of my best friends. Um, and like I say, he, he looked after me. He took me under, under his wing when I was at um, 
late days he uses. And, and like I say, you know, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. He was the one who, who organised me to come over to, to Richard Hannan's um, and obviously with Richard and from there, it sort of, it, it, it went on to, you know, obviously the boss, um, uh, Robert and Sally Ulner. So like you say, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have made the, the break over to England. And, and it was really, it was those personal connections that I thought really came through the documentary, not, not just with Kieran. And it was a beautiful story you told about him, but, but also with, with Robert Ulner. And it was lovely to see Sally in the, in the documentary. And I was talking about um, un, unli unlikely or, or slightly reluctant, reluctant heroes of a, of a movie. I, I can't imagine it's something Sally was desperate to do, but I thought she, she was brilliant. I thought she was kind of the star of the show in many respects. Yeah, look, obviously she, she's a wonderful lady, um, you know, a massive part of my in my life since I've come over here, and uh, you know she's 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 done it all. She's she's been there for me through the through the highs, the lows, the good, the bad times, everywhere. So um, you know, it's actually um, it was quite cool. I got to ride for her in a hunter chase um, during the week at Wink Canton as well. So that was very emotional, very very fun, and uh, you know it, it was great. And anything I can do with Sally and and stuff like that it's it's we just have such a connection and it's like I say, it's great fun being around her and you know you're you're a very level character to deal with for us on a, on a day-to-day -day basis but you've often said that you know life wasn't dead straightforward earlier on and that's very much comes over in the in the film and the extent to which really sally was kind of had that combination of being motherly putting her arm around you but being quite tough on you at the same time to try and to try and sort of motivate you in the right direction it's a, it's a hard balance to strike isn't it yeah like you say it's you know i'm probably not most straightforward a person um you know sometimes you, you need the, the boat angles don't you you need a, a stern scene to, and also you need a you know like any any professional or anybody anybody in life you know you know sometimes you just need um an arm around you to say you know it's going to be okay tomorrow's a new day and and like the boss always said, you know, tomorrow's another day, it's a new chapter, turn over the page and, and you got to go again. And, and like you say, sometimes you need that. And uh, and sometimes, you know, it's all, all it's, it's not just professional sportsmen, it's, it's everybody in, in life. Uh, and sometimes you just need a, an arm around you to, to say it's okay. And, and you, you know, you can go and do it the next day. Like you say, it's a, tomorrow's another day. When you were um, getting your instructions from, from Sally the other day for the, for the Hunter Chase, were they... Did it take you back? Oh, it was it was it was a magic day. I must admit, I really really enjoyed it, and um, it was wonderful that she was there with me as well. To um, when I had the five timer at Wincanton as well, um, she was there with me the other day, and she she received the the, the picture of that you know Wincanton kindly gave me. So it was lovely to have her there um, to to to, the, to receive the, the the photo with me as well. So it was a wonderful day at Wincanton the other day. Yeah. There were there were loads of things that struck me in this in this documentary. I, I really found it very interesting. I I think what the thread that all, all the way through it was your your closeness to to people along the journey. The, the, you know a lot of a lot of top class sportsmen, a lot of sportsmen they, they they think of themselves as quite solitary figures, or they present themselves as quite solitary figures. That doesn't come through with you at all. That you you thrive off and you feed off your your relationships with with other people. Is that it, that's certainly what came through to me anyway yeah it's, it's like you say it's obviously different people have, have different ways but um you know one thing i've always i've always thrived on it's 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 trust and um uh, you know trust is a massive part for me and uh you know if you can trust somebody and you can feed off somebody and they can you believe in what they're trying to to tell you and, and say to you and 
and and and they leave things to you to decide and make your own judgment um on situations not only on horses but in life um you know but they're always there to you know if it if if, if it did fall against you they they're there to to pick up the pieces or to help you pick up the pieces and uh you know the whole way through my life I've been I've been very very lucky I've been loved by so many people and so many people have wanted what's best for me um and they've been there to support me and and like you say, it's you know some of the best relationships that I've had with you know trainers, owners, whatever. It's it's all been on a on a on a trust basis. And and a lovely relationship develops through the through the film between between you and, and Anthony Bromley, who's obviously racing manager to, to Simon Manier and Isaac Swed, who you who you ride for. I almost got the sense leading up to last year's Cheltenham Festival and that sort of chapter of the film that. Anthony wanted a win at the festival more for you than even he did for even he did for the for the owners. Yeah, obviously Anthony's um, he's he's a brilliant man. He's a brilliant race manager. He's he's a brilliant man that I can just talk to on a on a daily basis whenever whenever I need to chat to someone. You know, not not just about horses, but you know about life in general. He's 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 been around a long way. He's a very very professional man, but he's a, a very very good man. Um, and like you say, it's um, you know it was a, a wonderful thing. You know we we didn't have the the, the most straightforward of um, of build-ups to the Cheltenham Festival last year. A lot of horses got just touched off or they got beaten and stuff like that. So you know going into the festival last year it probably wasn't you know the most the biggest confidence building uh, situation. But I can I can assure you the way he had me lined up for Cheltenham, you know it was like as if I was going in there and I was after riding you know, 10 straight big winners in a row. You know, he really had my confidence very, very high going into the festival last year. And, uh, you know, every horse that we had running at the Chess, at the Cheltenham Festival ran to, to their ability or ran above it. And, and I'm sure a lot of that is down to, um, obviously, Anthony, Simon and Isaac, but just keeping my confidence, keeping me keeping me high, keeping me positive. And uh, like you say, that's what a, what a, true, what a true team does. You're, you're a senior statesman of this weighing room now, and that is really powerful testimony that sometimes, you know, however experienced you are, self-doubt is going to creep in, and you need an arm around your shoulder to say, you are good, you are good, you can do this. Do you think that's something that riders underestimate, and do you think it's something that newer, younger riders coming through need and should be more accepting of? I, I, look, me personally, I'm always, you know, I've always sometimes, you know, even when I, you know, when I was riding horses at the start, I, you know, I had self-doubt, self-belief. But like you say, I've been very, very lucky in the people that I've had in my throughout my life and throughout my career have, have kept me on a on a grounded but um, a very, very strong confidence, you know, and always building the confidence into me. And, um, you know, I think it's especially, you know, like you say, the, the relationships that I've had with, you know, trainers in the past, and, and obviously with Simon and Isaac now, and you can see the results that we are getting. It's, uh, you know, confidence is massive. And, you know, I know for a fact out there, you know, the top sports mean, I speak to a lot of people, you know, down through the line, through, through the years, sorry, that, you know, every top sportsman, whether you're a jockey, whether you're a footballer, whether you're a rugby player, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, you, you know, your, your form can, can dip a little bit. And, and I say you need somebody around you that will give you the, you know the confidence booster that you need. That you know you can do it because even though you you see us going out and doing riding horses every day of the week, you think we're on top of the world. But you know in racing, there's there's a lot a lot of highs and there's there's even more so there's more lows because 
you can't go out there and win every race, even though you want to go out there and win every race. You know, you, you just won't ride a winner in every race. So you're thinking, have I done everything right here? You know, could I have done better to, to make my opportunity for the horses better? So, you know, confidence is a massive, massive key. And like you say, there's, you know, we ride a lot more losers than we do winners. So, you know, to keep the, the confidence high, it's, it's something that I, I strongly believe that, you know, every jockey needs somebody in there to, to keep their confidence very, very high. And that nice arc through last year's Cheltenham Festival, which, which ended beautifully with Concertista winning the, the Mayor's Novice, but started with Kildes Arc going down agonisingly uh, in, the, uh, in the handicap chase on the first day. And there were some shots of, uh, of your wife, Kelly, and your, and your children watching at the time. And um, the kids were cheering you on. And I, it was very, it, it really struck me. She was totally unmoved, knowing, knowing just how much this was going to mean to you. You know, you could, the, 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 totally expressionless, but you kind of just knew what was, you kind of knew what was going on inside and, and probably her thinking, oh, please, please, please let this happen. Yeah, she's obviously been there through uh, through a lot of the narrow defeats at the Cheltenham Festival. So, you know, it was, um, you know, she, she's a wonderful lady. And, you know, like you say, I'd be lost without her. And, uh, you know, the kids and they bring it all back to reality. But, um, you know, it would have been nice um, for them to be in there. Um, you know, for Kildare to win, it wasn't to be. Look, he ran an absolute belt in a belt in race. But unfortunately, he just wasn't quite good enough on the day. And, you know, it was it was a shame that they they weren't there for Concertista, but um, you know, it's um, it's it's lovely to have them whenever they do come racing. They don't come racing very often, but I must admit it is lovely to have um Kelly and the kids there um at the races whenever you are riding. And to tell me this, Daryl. I mean, we talk, we talked all about the movie, but who's going to win for you at Cheltenham this year? Um, obviously, you know, we've got some some really nice horses again coming in. Obviously. Caribbean boy, he run, he won um, very nicely at Newbury at the start of the year. Um, you know, and things haven't gone. His next two races haven't been um, quite quite straightforward since then. But um, I worked him, um, I worked him yesterday, and he seems he seems in really really good form again. I think he's back to where he was when before he went to Newbury. So I'm very much excited about him running a handicap, and uh, you know, also fused the raffles. Um, he runs in the marsh against obviously Envoy Allen. So it's going to be very going to be very difficult to beat him but I know the horse is in a really really good place at the moment Luck on Sunday proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. I'm really pleased to welcome back to the show a man who is assembling his strongest team ever for the Cheltenham Festival and struck yet again on a Saturday afternoon with a very exciting young horse called My Drogo. He is, of course, Dan Skelton. Dan, good morning. Morning, Nick. Um, you must have been very pleased yesterday. Let's start with, with the most recent success for the, for the stable. Uh, My Drogo looked like a horse firmly on the up. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just a fantastic, progressive young horse. He only debuted in October in a bumper um, at Cheltenham. He went off 50 to 1, which we didn't really feel um, advertised what we felt of him at the time. But this is asking the relevance. That was, that was a bumper. But since then, he's gone to be unbeaten over hurdles. I thought yesterday was a very accomplished performance. And he gave away a Class 1 penalty. So, you know, to win these graded races is is a... You know, it's a hard job to do, but to win them under a graded penalty um, is quite authoritative. And 
he's going the right way. We've we've minded him. We've you know mentally we've we've kept him away from the sort of like potential not downfalls that that we could face, but the you know we, we we've made sure that we treated him like a a, a sort of a, a slightly fragile young horse. If you notice at four out yesterday, he he took a bit of a took a bit of a flyer at the hurdle ten strides after being bumped. Um, and that's what he's like a little. Um, you have to be a little cautious with him and, and, and treat him quite gently because he will he will come alive for you. Um, you know, once you've once you've lit the once you've lit the fuse, you can't put put petrol on it with it. Uh, put uh, water on it if you know what I mean. You've got to be really careful not to get him over overexcited. What was the thinking behind taking him to, to Kelso yesterday and, and and maybe not going to to the big festivals? Well, I think it, the intention is to go to go to Aintree, and I've been really impressed with him as the season's progressed. How physically he's actually developed. He's not wilted. He's actually blossomed. And we don't weigh our horses because I sometimes find that with jumps horse it can be a little misleading. But if we were to weigh them, I'd say he's a better physical horse now than he was in the autumn, which is great because a lot of horses as the season sort of goes on they drop condition, and you know it's it's a hard job to post Christmas time keep them in their best shape so I've been really impressed with how he's done that um, but really the the main reason for missing Cheltenham is you know if you're running a race like the Supreme where there's a lot going on going down to two out and a lot of jostling for position I just feel like he would be capable of doing what he did for out yesterday sort of what half taking his mind off off what's going on around him because of a bit of bumping and, and pushing around and we just didn't want to put him in that we didn't want to put him in, at, at risk. Basically, we wanted to protect him and, and shield him from that. And I, I, you know, I think the results are showing that we, you know we're doing the right thing at the moment. And um, you know, next year, as a chaser, that's that's really uh, top of the agenda. And this has been a, a fantastic season for you, with with so many really talented horses coming through, lots of youngsters coming through that you could you could get excited about. Are you doing a lot differently? Are you a better trainer now than you were? last year or the year before do you think well yes it, yes i mean everybody evolves and it doesn't matter if you're a trainer you're a jockey a presenter whoever it is you, you you learn you learn from experience you learn from what went right from what went wrong and i think confidence as well that you know you get good horses and and good results around you you know that that confidence then you know leads to more of the more of the correct decisions and and you know that your staff believing in in the system and the the decisions that you're making. So yeah, I'm definitely a different, probably better trainer. But then so are all the competition. You know, everything's evolving. People are always getting better and sort of finding new ways to do things. And you know, I think when you've got really good horses around you, you have to really wake up and and recognise that. And I. I think I spoke to you at the start of the season and said that we we felt that this was the right time to to concentrate a little bit more down the uh, quality rather than quantity route, um, and I'm just delighted that it, it's it's paid off. You know that you can say all you want, but actions speak louder than words, and we're just delighted that the actions have, have backed up those words back in the autumn. And how about your own sort of temperament for the job? Are, are you are you better equipped for it now? Do you do you find the pressures of the of the sport easier to cope with? I think uh, yes, I do. I think that's for a number of different reasons, though. 
um, you know, with with success comes expectation, which has to be managed personally as well as socially. Um, and then, of course, the, the 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 actual stresses of of the job of being around horses, of things not going right, of you know, of races being lost when they might have been won, and you know, things like you know, this week we had two fallers that perhaps would have won um, and it didn't. And you, you, you know, you, as you get more experienced and older, you learn how to deal with things like that. That's just an example. I think, um, well, you know, the support of family and friends and, and, you know, the owners who understand uh, what, what the game is all about and how sort of stressful it is. I, I think, yes, I'm definitely better equipped to do it now. And, you know, I, I wish there was a, almost a, a guidance book when I started and says, this is, you know, this is what you're going to face. This is, these are the problems you're going to have. And, you know, here's a little bit of help of how to deal with it. There, there wasn't that book, you know, I was lucky. I had Paul Nichols's number. I could ring him if I ever thought, what do I do here? And, you know, I've got my dad and my wife and my brother to call on. And, but, you know, it's, it's a, you ask a very, you ask a very sort of poignant question there because it's something that I feel um, is hard. It is hard to manage. And there, there are times when, I think with every sportsman or woman or businessman or woman or any anybody in the world where things can feel like they're too much or you're not living up to expectations and you know your mind your mind can play tricks on you and um it's you know it, it is a difficult it is a difficult job to do when things are going well let alone when things aren't so I think hopefully with a bit of maturity I've got better at it but I think there's always room for improvement in that area um, and I certainly do my best to conduct myself the best, but at times wish I could have done better. Uh, it's interesting what you say. I mean, is it fair to say that your your expectation bar was something that you set very high for yourself? I mean, a lot of people expect you to do well because you were well known. You had a profile from from Pauls, and obviously you had a profile because of uh, of the success that your family had had as well. But you seem to put a lot of a lot of pressure on yourself. Yeah, I I did and I do and I will continue to do so because I feel that you know you have to be as as you know leading the team that I do. You have to have a winning mentality. You have to you have to exude that com- confidence. You have to you know you have to exude that feeling of of being a winner and 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 wanting to win and that being the objective. Um, you know, there's lots of little different pieces along the way that can't be ignored and can't be forgotten and have to be, you know, have to be taken into consideration. But I set the bar very, very high for myself. And sometimes I fall short of that and I disappoint myself. Um, sometimes I fall short of that and I've let somebody else down. But I think it's okay to say that the bar is so high because everybody wants, you know, whether you're an owner or a breeder, uh, a jockey, uh, a member of staff at the yard, you know, you really want to know that everybody is trying their, their best and that, that, you know, that the leadership is, is, is attaining, trying to attain at least the, the highest level. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bar that I put there and, you know, I've never lowered it. Um, and ultimately, you know, if you say, well, what's the ambition? You know, I've never made any secret that I'd love to be champion trainer one day. And that bar will stay up there for as long as as long as it can be. I will always try to attain that. I may not achieve it, um, 
but you know that's where it is and and i'm I, i'm happy to say that um may sound arrogant to some people but you know it's it's almost like a little bit of a a, a focus point in the distance where you can you know that's a never that's a, a you know a, a constant never moving object in the in the distance that we are trying to get towards step by step that is where we're trying to get towards in terms of readying your team for the next for the next 9 days how much of the how much of the work is now done how much more can you do to to enhance your chances of of competing with the Mullinses and the Nicholses and the Hendersons next week well I think the vast majority has been done and now it's just the finishing touches. You know, there's a little bit more schooling to do, maybe one more piece of work, um, you know, just just keeping them healthy and they're fit now. You know, you're not going to improve any fitness at this point. Um, some horses, All Mankind would be a good example of a horse who you have to keep really busy up to the 11th hour. You have to do lots and lots and lots with him. Roxana would be the complete opposite. You have to just try and keep her fresh up to the last moment. Um, so you've got to, you know, sort of work with your horses and, um, you've got to remember, I feel at this point, a horse can only be a hundred percent fit. There's no such thing as 101 or 102. You know, a horse can only be a hundred percent fit. Trying to find that extra 2% fitness. Um, you're going to start going over the top and, um, you're going to, you're going to get a negative reaction from your horses for doing that. So, you know, I think one thing that experience does do for you is it, it just tempers you a little on, on the eve of these big festivals and these big days and, you know, the, the big targets of the year. The experience does tell you, OK, it's another day, it's another race. This horse doesn't know that it's Cheltenham or Aintree or the Grand National or whatever. This horse just thinks it's going to run again. So, you know, you mustn't, um, you mustn't take it out of that comfort zone that you've, you know that it can perform well in and has been performing well in all seasons. So... You've just got to basically hold your nerve and, and, and just know that your horses are well, trust in them, trust in your staff, and um, hopefully, touch wood, they all get there um, in nine days' time. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai.